Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 582 for the 4th of March, 2018. This week, some websites use visitors' computers to mine cryptocurrencies. That might be okay if the user is told about it and given a choice, but often that is not the case. In short circuits, last call for net neutrality. The FCC has published the rule that destroys net neutrality, and now fewer than 60 congressional days remain if the legislature is to reverse the misguided rule. Crash Plan from Code 42 has just received a new user interface that improves the utility's operation. Regardless of which browser is your favorite, it can be improved with a variety of themes, add-ons, and extensions. In spare parts, only on the website, if you're in the business of renting to millennials or young families, you better be sure you have high-speed internet access and offer the ability to make rental payments online. Among the predictions made at this week's Mobile World Congress in Taiwan is one that suggests we will soon see humanoid robots in our homes. Some, in fact, already exist. In addition to malware and ransomware, a new kind of unwanted application might find its way onto your computer. Starting last year, computer security company ESET began warning about websites that use visitors' computers to mine Bitcoin. Regardless of the legal and ethical aspects of the practice, it's annoying to have someone use your computer without your knowledge or your permission. The mining operations need all the power they can get, and that includes borrowing, or perhaps we should say stealing, CPU cycles from your computer. The cost of electricity required to mine a single Bitcoin is currently around $4,800. That reflects the astonishing amount of computer power needed. When the value of Bitcoin was near $20,000, miners could quadruple their investments, but the price of a Bitcoin has fallen to less than what it costs to create so the miners are looking for a little help. Mining costs are going to continue going up. The Motley Fool says this, making matters even worse, the cost to mine a single Bitcoin is only likely to grow over time. For starters, electricity is a basic needs service for most everyone, and as such, electric utilities tend to possess strong pricing power that allows them to pass along inflation matching or topping price increases. In short, inflation all but assures that electricity costs are going to move higher over time, and with them the cost of mining various cryptocurrencies. At least one website, Pirate Bay, a site that's been accused of stealing intellectual property, is experimenting with in-browser mining to replace on-site advertising. Presumably, the mining would occur only when a visitor was connected to the site, and display ads would then be removed. The news site Salon offers two options if a visitor has an ad blocker installed. Option number one is simply turn off the ad blocker. Option two, though, would allow Salon to use what they call unused computing power on your computer. 
explains that second option this way. For our beta program, we'll start by applying your processing power to mine cryptocurrencies to recoup lost ad revenue when you use an ad blocker. We plan to further use any learnings from this to help support the evolution and growth of blockchain technology, digital currencies, and other ways to better service the value exchange between content and user contribution. Instead of Bitcoin, however, Salon uses Moneo. It is far more efficient than Bitcoin in terms of mining operations. Those who choose option two will see no ads, and while they're on the site, the computer will run calculations for Salon. To do that, Salon says, we are instructing your processor to run calculations. Think of it like borrowing your calculator for a few minutes to figure out the answer to math problems, then giving it back to you when you leave the site. Nothing is installed on the computer, and the process does not access any data stored on the disk or in the computer's memory. Assuming that visitors are told about the practice, as Salon does, this seems both ethical and legal. But a website operated by the Los Angeles Times used visitors' computers to mine Bitcoin without their knowledge, and in fact, without the knowledge of the newspaper. The Homicide Report, operated by the L.A. Times, lists people killed in Los Angeles County during the past year. A directory used by the Homicide Report site had been set up with write access enabled. When crooks discovered that security flaw, they took advantage of it to run CoinHive on visitors' computers. The malicious code is gone from the website, and even those who visited the website, if they had Malwarebytes installed, would not have been affected. That's because Malwarebytes has blocked CoinHive since last year. There are other ways of gaining access to computing devices. Attacks have been crafted to add mining operations to Android devices, and malware can be included in Microsoft Word documents. In these cases, the mining operation is installed on your computer or your smartphone so that it will run whenever your device is powered. It's not easy to figure out if someone is surreptitiously using your computer, but both Windows and Mac OS computers do have some tools that might help. For Windows computers, press the Windows key and then X, then choose Task Manager and select the Performance tab. For more detailed information, you could open the Resource Monitor that's a link near the bottom of the screen on the Task Manager. You'll see pictures on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And there are pictures for the Mac OS too. In that case, you'd use Finder to open the Activity Monitor and then choose the CPU tab. Assuming you have a reasonably new computer and you're not overloading the system, CPU usage should be in the 20 to 40% range typically. Occasional spikes are generally not indicative of problems, but beware if CPU usage is consistently high. You can try closing individual tabs in your browser to see if usage changes. That's sufficient to identify a more or less legitimate situation, but if the site has opened a hidden tab or installed malware, that's going to be harder to find. Currently, all of these mining operations seem to use JavaScript, which is an essential part of modern websites. You can disable JavaScript on a specific site or turn it off altogether. Turning it off altogether has some big drawbacks, though. The TechBiter Worldwide site makes extensive use of JavaScript, and while the site will still be usable without it, your experience won't be as good. Some sites, Facebook, for example, won't even load if you've disabled JavaScript.
Malware bytes, which I use and recommend, seems generally to block mining operations, and some of the ad blockers like Adblock Plus may help. There are also browser extensions that promise to block mining operations. The only one that works with Firefox, Chrome, and Opera is called NoCoin. You can find that on GitHub. But if you really want to install it, you probably should download it from your browser's add-on tab. As good as those protections are, they would have no effect on malware that's delivered to your computer via image files or links to a malicious website. Researchers at IBM say that those who install malware on your computer are generally trying to generate Moneo coins. So it's a complicated issue. One thing we journalists have learned in the Internet era is that few people think they should pay for information. As a result, newspaper and magazine staffs are shrinking. Most journalists would actually do what they do even without pay, except for one troubling fact. They need money to pay for food, lodging, clothing, an education for their children, and other frivolous expenses. So if cryptocurrency mining can be used in a legitimate way to fund journalism, hey, I'm all for it. You're not going to be hearing about net neutrality from me for much longer. This, in fact, is the last call for net neutrality. It's not a new topic, but it's an urgent topic. I've said before that an effort exists to cast net neutrality in a political light, but it seems that most people, regardless of their political affiliation, reject that and prefer to have the protections offered by net neutrality remain in place. Now, you've probably heard that net neutrality is dead. So sorry, they say, but there's nothing to be done about it now. Well, that's wrong. There is one final option. On February 22nd, the Federal Communications Commission's rule that destroys net neutrality under the guise of restoring Internet freedom was officially published in the Federal Register. If net neutrality is to be saved... It must be done within the next 60 congressional days, days when Congress is in session. It is very easy to cast this whole topic in political terms because net neutrality was established during the Obama administration. Tom Wheeler was the head of the FCC then, and it's being dismantled by the current FCC chairman, Ajit Pai. He was named to head the FCC by Donald Trump, but keep in mind that Pai was appointed to the FCC by Barack Obama. Research by the University of Maryland's Program for Public Consultation shows that more than 80% of voters favor net neutrality. That includes a majority of Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Simply put, the ISPs are playing a trick political card. Net neutrality classifies the Internet as a Title II common carrier that gives the FCC the authority to pass rules that ban blocking and throttling of content as well as selling fast lanes to companies that want to get speedier access to consumers. Supporters include Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Tim Berners-Lee, widely considered to be the inventor of the web, and virtually every company that uses the Internet as part of its business operations. Every company, that is, except the Internet service providers. 
Eliminating net neutrality could have a detrimental effect on websites operated by businesses not large enough or wealthy enough to compete with mega corporations. That's why it's important to contact your federal legislators and express support for net neutrality. Now, the clock is running. The website you save might be one you like. Maybe even this one. Late last year, Code 42, the company that's responsible for CrashPlan, announced that they were discontinuing the online backup service for home computers. Priced at $60 per year per computer, the plan was popular, and many users were unhappy to see their backup costs would double to $10 a month. Code 42 offered a 75% discount for the first year and promised some system improvements. Overall, they seemed to be succeeding. The old program interface was scrapped in February, and a new interface was released. It's an improvement. In 2016, I rated CrashPlan as a 5-cat application, and despite the increased price, that rating is still deserved. The new interface's control options are more robust. They now include the ability to restrict the use of network resources, both on the local area network and on the internet connection to CrashPlan's servers. Selecting drives as well as individual files and folders to back up is easy. Clicking a file folder icon on the interface displays folders and files that are inside, and selecting a checkbox adjacent to a file, folder, or drive marks the entire contents for monitoring and inclusion in the backup. It's important to note, though, that CrashPlan is not intended as an image backup system. So attempting to backup the operating system, in other words, the Windows Program Files x86 and Program Files directories, is pretty much guaranteed to cause problems. Image backups need an application such as a Cronus True Image and a local USB hard drive for that image. Restoring files and folders offers the ability to obtain the most recent version of a file, that's what most people will want most of the time, or an earlier version of the file. That actually can be very handy if you've modified a file and you want to work with an earlier iteration. Restoring files to a directory other than the location of the original file is easy too. Now that's useful if you need to compare a restored earlier version of a file with the current version. Those who want the restored file to be placed in the same location as the original file can choose to have CrashPlan rename the restored file or overwrite the existing file. A detailed history file is helpful if you need Code 42's support team to assist with a problem, but it's also useful if you want to confirm that backups are occurring as intended. How many files are being backed up, how many bytes are being transmitted, and what the data transfer rate is. Users can also have crash plans send a confirmation email when backup sessions are complete, that happens several times a day typically, as well as warning messages if backups fail. Overall, CrashPlan is still a good choice despite the increased cost. At $10 a month, that is still just $120 per year. When compared with the cost of recreating hundreds or thousands of files, and with losing additional hundreds or thousands of files that could not be recreated, the cost of backup seems pretty modest. 
short note from the Mozilla Foundation this week reminded me of the need to review extensions and add-ons for Firefox, but the suggestion is also worthwhile if your preferred browser is Chrome or Internet Explorer or Edge or Maxthon or Vivaldi or one of many others. Firefox and Chrome have the largest number of extensions to choose from. The message from Mozilla points out that extensions are as varied as the Internet itself, from serious jobs like protecting your privacy to not-so-serious stuff like improving your emojis, they say. They're built to enhance nearly everything we do online. Mozilla created a page that lists dozens of popular extensions. There's a link to that page from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Some of those extensions have just a few hundred users, Easy Emoji, for example. Others have well over a million. good example there is Ghostery. And on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, I have provided links to locations where you can download extensions for your favorite browser. Mozilla Firefox, Chrome, Internet Explorer, and there are very limited options there, Edge, Maxthon, and Vivaldi. Maybe you can use some of those links this weekend, taking an hour or two to explore some of the add-ons and extensions for your favorite browser is a good way to improve the tools that you use every day to navigate the web. Very little navigation is needed for spare parts, only on the website. This week, if you're in the business of renting to millennials or young families, you'd better be sure that you have high-speed internet access and offer the ability to make rental payments online. And among the predictions made at this week's Mobile World Congress in Taiwan is one that suggests we will soon see humanoid robots in our homes. Some, in fact, already exist. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.